Oh, well, this year, let me just begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this year. Thank you for uh, this song that we just sang. We thank you that you are a redeemer. You purchase us. You, you call us your own. We thank you, Lord. May you bless this time as we come together to read and to study your word at the start of the year. Please be with us. May your Holy Spirit stir our hearts. May you pull down every barrier, any pride uh, in us that prevent your word to go forth. May your word stir our hearts that we may want to love you more and to serve you more. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning on the first Sunday of 2021, I have a simple sermon for you, and I have entitled it, Living a Surrendered Life. Living a Surrendered Life for the Start of 2021. I often wonder, why is it that Christianity promises so much to you, and yet delivers so little for you? Why is it that, I don't know whether you wonder that or not, as a pastor, I often seen that in in many people's life, uh, we, Christianity promises so much about eternal life, about peace, joy, love, and yet many Christians do not actually experience those things that God has promised to us. So it promises so much and yet delivers so little for you. Uh, when, why, why so much investment and yet did not yield any dividends? Where is the joy? Where is the peace? Where is the love that is the hallmark of Christian benefits and not manifested frequently among believers? Why? Have you ever answered why? Why am I not enjoying these benefits of being the child of God? Is there something wrong or what with me? 2 Corinthians 5.17 very clearly said, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I learned this when I was a new Christian. They always, this is a verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. What is old, you're beginning to change. You're beginning to transform. doesn't matter how old you are when you become Christian. You may be 14 years old, 17 years old or maybe as age, ripe old age of 75, you can be a new creation when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Oswald Chamber has this quote. Oswald Chamber says that the reason some of us are such poor specimens of Christianity is because we have no almighty Christ. We have Christian attributes and experiences but there is no abandonment to Jesus Christ. And so I think what Oswald Chamber is trying to say, or what I've been putting forward, why we yield so little in our life when God promises so much, is that too many Christians only accepted Jesus as their Savior, but not as their Lord. If you cannot remember anything I'm going to say today, this is one sentence you, I want you to remember. And the sentence I want you to remember, it is summarized up the entire sermon, is that abundant life on earth can only be attained through surrendered life. 
Abundant life here on earth can only be attained through surrendered life. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about after salvation. I'm talking about when you believe the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And now the next step is to put Him as Lord. When He is our Lord, when, uh, when Jesus is our Lord, when we surrender our life daily to Him, that is the pathway to abundant living here on earth. And so, so many of us, if we do not experience this abundant living, it's because we have not surrendered our life daily to Jesus Christ. And today, I want to uh, bring you that challenge. Surrender is deeply misunderstood as an act of weakness. Surrender is the bravest and the most lucid thing a human ever does. And that's why it's so precious to the divine. So God does not want us to try harder. He doesn't want you to try harder. He wants you to trust Him deeper. Stop trying. Start trusting. This will change everything in you. Nothing is more powerful than a surrendered life in the hands of God. Nothing is more powerful than a surrendered life in the hands of God. Transformation happens on the other side of surrender. Sometimes you have to let go of the life you pictured in order to have the life that God has planned. Surrender is not weakness. It is the bravest thing any Christian should do. And when you learn to surrender your life to Jesus every day, live a surrendered life, abundant living will be at the doorstep. And that is why Martin Luther says, a religion that gives nothing, it costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. Conviction is worthless until it converts itself into conduct. Conviction is worthless until it converts itself into conduct. You must experience that, not just only cognitively know. It must. Christian must experience the kind of life that God promises for us to live. We must yield the dividends of our investment. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. It is, I'm here to challenge you not to go through life superficially committed, nominally involved. What a waste. What a waste of your life. What a waste of getting up early to dress up and come to church. It's all or nothing. Someone wrote this, say, you, you call, Jesus said, you call me the way and you walk me not. You call me the life and you leave me not. You call me master and yet you obey me not. You call me bread and you eat me not. You call me truth and you believe me not. You call me Lord and you serve me, Lord. And the last sentence is very sober. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Surrendering to God is showing complete faith in Him 
and believe in His promises. And then your abundant life will start to happen in your life. So it begins with surrendered life. Matthew 18 verse 3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. A child just simply trusts the Almighty. Surrender. So this morning, I have five things I want to share with you. Five areas, I believe, is summarize up areas that we should surrender it to God. And when we surrender this place, things to God, then we are going to yield the dividends of all your investment. Five areas. Number one, I want to challenge you to let go, letting go of controlling. I mean, if there's anything that last year has taught us about COVID or the situation, the pandemic, is that you cannot control anything. You can plan many things, but little virus can change everything. Whole world, in fact. Whole world. There's one issue that is affecting the entire world. And I read someone, some uh, prominent preacher in America say that this is ripe. One issue to dominate the world, this is ripe for the Antichrist to rise. It is time because Antichrist will only come and rise where there's an issue that, con- that affects the entire world. That this Antichrist brings solution to the world. It is ripe for that to happen in this time. So I want to challenge you to let go of control. Control is the hardest thing to give up. Because without it, we feel vulnerable. But we do not need to worry. God is already in control. We just need to recognize His authority and move over to let Him lead. He is the creator of the universe, so we can trust Him with each day. Letting go is scary at first, but the freedom in our mind and hearts will be worth it. Letting go of control. Don't think that you're the savior of the world. Don't think that you, you, you can do everything on your own. You can't. You can't. And this verse, importantly, is Romans 8, 28, a famous verse that we often quote, but not many people, as I said again, internalize and let it completely dominate our lives and thinking. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Doesn't matter what happened, God is going to use it to further His work. Doesn't matter. The simple intention to surrender control is all you need to experience miracles. The simple intention to surrender control is all you need to experience miracles. Paradoxically, did you know that Christian message is very paradoxical to the world that we live in? That is what attracted me to be a Christian in the first place. You want to be the first, you must be the last. You know, you give up, you gain all. Um, it is just against what the world is telling us. A soldier wrote this prayer. Said, I prayed for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. 
I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of man. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy in life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, yet everything that I hoped for, I have it. Almost despite myself, despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Letting go of control. You will see miracles. You will alter the way you view things. It will calm you down. Everything will set in place when you let God control. And take this verse to heart, that all things God works together for good. All things means all things, not some things. All things happen, even the coronavirus. All things work for good, that God is going to use it to further His kingdom. Second thing, area that I want to challenge you how to live a surrendered life is letting go of worry. Worry is a killer. Someone said that worry... It's like sitting on a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Worries adds not a single day to your life. In fact, worry oppresses us every second. Worry can literally affect not only our minds and hearts, but also our bodies. Worry does absolutely nothing positive. And that's why Matthew 6 is a beautiful verses in the, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus emphasized so much on it. It's therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, which I don't think anyone will worry about that, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Please bear in mind, this is coming from the lips of Jesus. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Worry is a slander on God's character, suggesting that he's more interested in his pets than in his children. There was a, po- a poem written by Elizabeth Chetney. He said, said the robin to the sparrow. The robin said, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and hurry so said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But I do need to clarify a few things with the distinguish between uh, worries and concern. But here when Jesus said, do not worry, it does not mean that we should not think about the future It is not an excuse for idleness. It does not mean we should not be ambitious. 
it does not mean that we should opt out of our responsibilities. No worries, no worries. It's not about that. We should distinguish between worry and concern. Jesus said, don't worry. The way it is written, it is a command and not a suggestion. Jesus is not saying, do not be concerned. He said, do not worry. Because we have to understand what worry is. Some of us think that worry and having concerns are the same things. They are not. A worried person sees a problem and a concerned person solves a problem. Worries are those things that stop us dead in our tracks. In fact, our word worry comes from an old German word that means to choke or strangle. Concerns are those things that motivate us to work hard because there's a major difference between worry and concern. Legitimate concerns motivate us to action. Concern focuses on probable events and then takes action. It's for seeing a feasible problem and then doing things to avoid the problem. That is concern. So it's okay to be concerned about your cholesterol. <laughs> Please do take statin. <laughs> Or it's okay to concern that you have high blood. It's okay to be careful about what you eat and not contribute to the detrimental of your health. It's okay to do things like buy life insurance in the event of accident. That's not worry. That's a legitimate concern. Concern moves us to take action, whereas worry paralyzes us. Worry is focusing on negative events and allowing it to freeze us. So when Jesus says, do not worry, Jesus is talking about anything that drains your tank of joy, something you cannot change, something you are not responsible for, something you are unable to control, something or someone that frightens and torments you, that agitates you, keeps you awake when you should be asleep. These are things that Jesus wants you to avoid. So there is a sense in which concern is not only good, but its absence is, biblically speaking, irresponsible. So these are what we call legitimate concern. There is a sense in which worry is not only evil, but its presence signifies unbelief and disobedience. It indicates an acute shortage of confidence in God. And to some extent, they are self-centered worry. So Jesus comes to the crux of the matter. The antidote to worry is placing our trust in the Lord. Let me say this again. The remedy to worry, the antidote to worry is placing our trust in the Lord. In Jesus. So this is the second area I think we need to surrender it to Jesus, to surrender it, to live a surrendered life. Don't worry. Don't worry. God is in charge. God is in control. Don't worry. Number three, letting go. Money. I know this is a very sensitive topic. It's a very sensitive topic. But the Bible talks about money in the New Testament more than any other thing. The word money 
and wealth, giving appeared more times than love, joy, peace put together. We tend to hold tightly to our money. However, God wants to take the reins of our money. They want not to give it away, but God wants to in charge of that. Money can become an idol if we place it ahead of God, isn't it? When Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Remember, Jesus is comparing apple and apple, orange and orange. He's not comparing apple with some other banana. He's comparing apple with apple, orange with orange. It means money has the status of God. It gives you power. It gives you status. And therefore, Jesus is saying you can't worship both. You, you can't serve God. You can't serve money, but you can serve, you can, you can, you can serve God with money, but you cannot serve God and money together. Because there are a few verses here that warns us, and we need to let go of it. 1 Timothy 6.10 is a famous verse, but often misunderstood. We often say money is the root of all evil. It's not. It's the love of money. Love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Sad, isn't it? Some people, because of money, it appears themselves with many griefs because we love money so much. Luke 12 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you think about every day that occupies your heart and your mind, that is your item. Whatever occupies your mind most, that is your item. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from the love of money. We need money. We need money. Without you giving money to this church, this church won't be able to build. We need. We need people to give. We need money in that sense. But we don't have to... Love for money is the thing that Jesus warned us of. And 1 Timothy 6, famous verses, he said, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't it a wonderful balanced view of what Paul was saying? which really provide us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Martin Luther said, I've tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. So I want to challenge you to let, let go, let it go. Don't let money be your God. How do you know if you love money? I have four things I can share with you. Firstly, do you spend more time thinking about how to get money or how to do a good job? Secondly, you know you love money when you never have enough. 
You know you love money when you never have enough. In other words, you're never satisfied. You, you need to listen to Pastor Caroline's sermon again. You haven't learned in whatsoever state you are to be in content. Thirdly, you love money when you resent giving it away. It kills you to give it away because you're in the mode of using all your money to make sure you get something for it. That all the money is only for yourself. It's to serve your greater lifestyle. Someone said that God gives you money not so that you can continually increase your standard of living, but it's to increase your standard of giving. And lastly, you know you love money. Here's the ultimate test. You love money when you sin to obtain it. When you will sin to obtain it, that shows it. Randy Alcorn wrote many books about money. He says this, when Jesus wants us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because wealth might be lost, it's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live, or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Realizing its value is temporary should radically affect our investment strategy. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures alone isn't simply wrong, it's just plain stupid. Any wise investor would not do that. And so I want to challenge you, living a surrendered life is don't let money control you. Manage and be a good steward of the possession that God has given to you. Much has been given, much will be expected from you. Luke chapter 12, 48. The fourth area that I want to uh, challenge you in the sermon of surrendering to God, oh, sorry, I, I forgot about this quote about this young Billy Graham who's dead. He said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other areas in his life. If that area is managed well, the rest of the area will be good. Fourthly, letting go of relationship. Most of our heartaches are relational heartache. Not many people complain not having things. But our greatest struggle is always relational. Relationship causes us the greatest heartache in life because we are fallen human creatures. On the contrary, it's also the same that relationship brings us the greatest joy, not, your, not the latest toy that you have. Relationship brings us the greatest joy. You don't have to go to Grand Canyon or, or whatever place to get the best holiday. You just need to go with the right company. You can go to the best place with the wrong company, that's hell. And you can go to the same place every time with the correct companion. It's the best holiday you can have. So relationship is one area we have to handle carefully and we have to learn to let go. Surrendering to God's sovereign will in our relationship shows that we trust Him with the people we care about. We can't possibly be everyone's saviour and hero, 
but Jesus can. He died because He loves all of us, including the people most precious to us. We can do everything in our power to love and care for those entrusted to us and trust God with the rest. Psalms 55 verse 22 say, Give your burdens to the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Give your burdens to the Lord. Are you burdened about someone you love? Have your efforts to help them fail? Whether it's your son or your daughter or your, your loved one, husband or wife? Let go! And let God deal with them. Letting go doesn't mean you stop caring. It just means you can't do for them what they need to do for themselves. Letting go isn't about cutting them off. It's about realizing you're not responsible for the problem. You can't cure it and you can't control it. It's about not being the rescuer or the savior or others. So others never realize the consequences of their own actions. So you learn to let go and let God and trust God to handle that relationship. Letting go means instead of trying to adjust everything to your own desires, you take each day as it comes and cherish each moment. Only God can change people, not you. None of us can change anyone. Only God can do the job. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work. Your task is to pray for them daily. I mean daily means daily. You must make sacrifice to commit this person to the Lord and pray and let God do the work. And you see that God will begin to work in their lives. Letting go of these relationships and trust that the Lord Almighty will take on and do the rest. Letting go is about fearing less and loving more. The word is to let go and let God. So I'm sure this thing will apply to many of us, especially relational is a difficult thing to handle, whether it's organization, whether it's home, whether it's church, they're always bound to have relational struggle, and that is where we have to continue to go on our knees and pray and let God deal with these people. Lastly, I want to challenge you to let go of your future. Each day is a gift from God. We can trust God with our future so we can focus on today. There are a number of verses in the Bible that tells us about future. Matthew 6 says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Again, this is what Jesus says. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Most of the things that you worry about actually didn't come to fruition. Many things that we worry about actually never happened. Psalms 39 says, You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. 
Psalms 39, verse 4, verse 5. Don't worry about your future. Live every day for God. And how about James chapter 4? James was telling these crowds, and listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will do this or, do, or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15 says, instead, this is what you're supposed to do, okay? So James is not against planning. James is not against us for not planning. He's against us for not planning with God. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So James is not against planning. We all need to plan. James is against planning without God. You're not involving God. You, you, don't, have, you don't factor in your Christian faith. Many Christians live as an atheist. Conceptually, they are theists. We live in God. But existentially, we live as an atheist because God is never in the picture. But conceptually, our mind, we believe in God. But experientially, existentially, God is always not in the picture. It's based on our own planning. God is never in the picture. God, what do you think? If I go for what, I ask, Lord, what do you think, Lord? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm planning. What do you think, Lord? Is God in your plans? Letting go of your future. Trust God. Pasca, Blas Pasca, uh, wrote a book called Pensies, which means in French, thought. He had a very good insight. He says this. He said, let each one examine his thoughts and he will find them all occupied with the past and the future. We scarcely, scarcely ever think of the present. And if we think of it, it is only to take light from it to arrange the future. The present is never our end. The past and the present are our means. The future alone is our end. So we never live, he said, and we hope to live. And as we are always preparing to be happy, it is inevitably we should never be so. What he's saying is that we always worried about past, no, we regret about our past, we worry about our future, but we miss the present. And the present is always used as a means to plan for future. So we don't actually live in that sense. We miss the present. And it is a present, it is a gift from God. And therefore, we don't live in that sense. We're always using our present to plan for future. But we don't live in the present. We don't treasure the time that we have, lunch or dinner or with people that we talk to, have a cup of coffee, you know. We don't treasure that sometimes. We always use it as a means for tomorrow. The present is never our end. And if it is true, then Pascal's dull thought is worth examined. Someone wrote this poem, say, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was autumn I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted. The cozy bed and the beautiful snow-capped mountains. It was winter, 
but it was spring I wanted, the warm and the blossoming of nature. You see, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. And now I am dying. And suddenly I realize I forgot to live. We worry too much about future. Let go. It's not to say that you don't plan, but you plan with God in the picture. Then your planning will be purified in a sense. The way to go about there is in the right way. I love one hymn. Today is a hymn day, isn't it? We sing hymns. And so we uh, have David... Uh, Today, opening grand ceremony of the organ <laughs> in this uh, uh, century for the first time. And we sing hymns. Uh, hymns. I grew up in singing hymns in the Presbyterian church. And one of the hymns that I love very much is God Will Take Care of You. You know that hymn? God Will Take Care of You. I love this hymn. Whenever I'm down, I'm concerned, I'm worried, I listen to that hymn. God. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you, the chorus say. God will take care of you. Through every day, all, all the way, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Through days of toil, when heart dull fell, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce, your path assail, God will take care of you. All you may need, He will provide. God will take care of you. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon His breast. God will take care of you. So future, let go. Surrender to God. God will take care of you. So those are the five areas that I want to uh, challenge you to live a surrendered life. And when we live a surrendered life in those areas, I believe abundant life, we will experience more of what Christian living is about. We will receive you the dividends of our faith. Experientially, you, you, you are experiencing what abundant living is about when you learn to live a surrendered life. I have my text this morning in Luke chapter 22. And I want to read to you before I close. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the final night of Jesus' life on earth, he led his disciples to Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. And as he moved in there, he prayed. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Oilers, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering. But yet not my will, but yours be done. To me, this is the epitome of what a surrendered life is all about. Not as my will, but yours. Lord, going to the cross is difficult. If you have plan B, let's go with plan B. But if you have no plan B, I'll stick to plan A. I'll submit to your will. I'll go through it. Isn't it we thankful that that's what happened? That Jesus submit sovereignly, completely, totally to the will of God. A complete human being. I want to conclude by reading you a poem on Gethsemane. This person by the name of Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote a poem reflecting on the Garden of Gethsemane. There are four stanzas. I'm going to just read the last two. Pay attention. It said, Down shadowy lands, lanes, across strange streams, bridged over by our broken dreams, behind the misty caps of years, beyond the great salt font of tears, the garden lies. Strive as you may, you cannot miss it in your way. All paths that have been or shall be pass somewhere through Gethsemane. All those who journey soon or late must pass within the garden's gate, must kneel alone in darkness there and battle with some fierce despair. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine, who only pray, let this cup pass, and cannot see the purpose in Gethsemane. Let me recap the last line. God pity those who cannot say, not mine, but thine, who only pray, let this cup pass, and cannot see the purpose in Gethsemane. It would be dishonest to say that God makes everything all right in this world. So the answer is, where do we go from here? Perhaps I think Wilcox's poem has it right. All paths that have been or shall be passed through, somewhere through Gethsemane. Surrendered life, completely at the foot of the cross, Jesus surrender everything. Let things go of your control, worry, money, relationships, and future. And remember, transformation happens on the other side of surrender. Father, thank you for uh, this year. Uh, thank you for your word, your living word. Your word says, a lamb unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuild, and for training in righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Your word is eternal. May this year be the year that we live surrendered life to you. 
trusting in you, letting go of control of many areas, worries, relationship, money, our future. Lord, abundant living come through surrendered life. So many of us only accept Jesus as Savior, but we have never existentially, purposely, deliberately acknowledged and allowed Jesus to be our Lord. When Jesus is our Lord, then everything in our lives needs to change because now we have a new master. When you are our Lord, we will submit to you. We will live abundant life when we learn to submit more and more of our life to you. Thank you, Lord. May you bless each one of us present here. I know that no one is here by accident. Somewhere along this word, this message is meant for some of you. Take it to heart so that you can, you can actually, in the existential way, live and enjoy this abundant life that God has promised to you by surrendering to him control of your life. Thank you, Lord. As we sing our closing hymns, uh, may we be reminded of just how great you are and your awesomeness that we want to proclaim this God that we worship to the all around us. Thank you. We sincerely pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close this morning service? Above every name, for all creation. And-
nation, God's salvation through the Son. Let me give you the Celtic blessing on this first Sunday of 2021. God, the eternal rock, is with us from year's beginning to its end, in hard times and in good. God is with us from year's beginning to its end. God Almighty is faithful, present in each day and every moment, drawing close in every act and deed. God is faithful through all eternity. God is trustworthy yesterday, today, and forever, sustaining and living, making all things new. God, the eternal rock, is with us this day and evermore. Amen.